Welcome to Media Path. I'm Louise Palanker. And I'm Fritz Coleman. Excellent. Perfect. You are exactly who I was expecting. Because you are my co-host, this is Media Path, and we are going to take you down a path full of media, which in, in the case of this week is mostly election coverage and election consequence conversation, which Fritz and I are eager to have with each other and with you, our valued viewer and listener today. So Fritz, I assume you watched uh, just a little bit of election coverage? No, I, I, I've run out of eye drops and uh, emotional uh, trunk space. <laughs> I, I'm so over. I'm glad we had this opportunity to purge our feelings so we can get on with the rest of our lives. Although it's not over yet, but it's over. No. It's, it's not over yet, but it's over. It's over, but it's interesting how it's being stretched out and the reasons why it's being stretched out and to what end or to whose advantage, as you as you always hear about in politics and business, uh, who benefits is, is always the question when something kind of odd is going on. So, you know, but we're going to talk a little bit about that, because I, the first thing we have to talk about is the is the election results, which was that uh, Joe Biden is the projected winner of the presidency. Thank you, uh, Americans, for voting. And that a lot of Republicans won back their Senate seats and a lot of people voted for Trump. What is it, 70 million votes for Trump? Yeah, the first and second highest number of votes in the history of electoral politics. Right. So a lot of turnout, a lot of early voting, and people were just voting and voting and voting like their lives depended on it because, in fact, they do. And when on election night, when we saw all these people voting for Trump, it was for people like you and I who see right through this con man, it was just so disheartening because it hurts. It just really hurts to see good people voting for someone that I consider to be quite evil. And I refuse to have negative feelings for the people I love who vote voted for Trump and who support him. So I'm more interested in trying to figure out the psychology of it all. I don't know. Well, what I saw a lady, uh, to your point, mm -hmm. uh, and you had a great encounter with a friend, which I think represents a microcosm of uh, how people are dealing with this issue on a granular level. I just want to say one thing before you talk about that, and that is that I saw Pete Buttigieg's uh, public relations person or uh, political uh, operative, and I can't remember the lady's name, but she had a great point. She said, the reason why our votes were so high, uh, meaning the votes for Joe Biden, was because we were electing a president. The Trump supporters were electing a cult leader. And so what drove them to the polls is two completely different psychologies, mm -hmm. two completely different mindsets, which is a really interesting way to look at it, because I couldn't understand this huge number of votes. And it also proves, whatever the reason is, Wheezy, that we still have a lot of work to do in bridging this divide. There are unaddressed issues in the middle of the country that somebody has to, uh, somebody has to unpack. I hope we get a chance to do that. I hope Joe Biden does that. I think he will. I think he will. I definitely think he's the man for the moment. And I think there's a lot that goes on in people's lives, in, in rural lives that we could never understand. And if they have a chip on their shoulder regarding us looking down on them, I, I would I would look up to them. They make our food. And I do not understand their lives any more than they understand what it is 
what it is to be us and to live in, in a larger city. But what I feel like mentioning is that this, and I know that they just say, fuck my feelings, but excuse me. But uh, what I feel like is that this is an abusive relationship where that they're in with their dear leader, where when you're in an abusive relationship, you just, it it's hard to break up because you don't want to have to accept that you fell for a guy who is this bad for you. So you stay in way longer because it makes you really angry at yourself when you finally, it hurt. It's very painful. It's like jumping out of a cult or jumping out of an abusive relationship. It's just, it's much easier to still believe in the guy and everything that he did for you. Because usually in dysfunctional relationships, they're doing something for you. So there's something about it that makes you feel good, but then most of it is making you feel bad and you don't even, you can't get that because it's so anesthetized by your, the drug that you're on. You know, that's such a great point. I was just, while you were saying that, because you triggered a memory for me, I read a great book called Political Tribes uh, by uh, a lady who is a teacher at Princeton University, Amy Chua. And she wrote, she started the whole tiger mom phenomenon. Remember that? Yes. Like the strict, it's sort of a, an Asian cultural thing to be really strict with your daughters and they'll grow up the right way. She wrote a great book exactly about what you're talking about. There's this psychological thing that happens where the more your side is attacked on any issue, whether it's about politics or some theory that you've invested a lot of emotional energy in, when your side is attacked, not only are you not convinced to go to the other side, it makes you more firmly entrenched in your argument because you've invested your psyche in it. And so for you to loosen your feeling for whatever it is means that you're kind of losing your identity. And that's such an interesting point. And it seems like that's where we got as this election went along. The more we fought with one another, the more firmly we became entrenched in our sides. Right. Because, because that's they're just a warrior a psychological for their guy. Yeah, yeah. No, they're, they're a warrior for their guy. And you see, you, you see these patterns repeat, you know, throughout history and you see similar behaviors in Michael Jackson fans or in, yeah. you know, whoever it is that that's, it's, it's my appointed duty to defend my guy. And that's who I am. And that's my purpose on this earth. And yep. it's, it's difficult to break that spell in people, especially when they're in these information silos where they're not hearing what you and I are hearing. Yep. Tom Friedman, one of the great current events writers of all time, said this. He said, the, the right, the Trump supporters hate us because we hate Trump. And the Trump and the and the Trump supporters support Trump because Trump convinces them that we hate them which is not necessarily true. No, so but he for just me, it's pushes. not true at all. Not, no, not no. At all. No, and you've had some personal experiences along trying to assuage uh, friends that supported the other side and to maintain your friendship, which is what we all ought to do. Right. Well, for the most part, I just kind of like don't talk about politics with my loved ones who are Trump supporters. And I... I love them. And I, I, I've never met a Trump supporter that wasn't just an absolutely lovely person. So I don't know uh, the people that show up at rallies with guns and screaming 
um, COVID into people's faces. I don't know those people. I just know lovely people who who voted for Trump. So, you know, I, I want to I, I like trying to figure out people and what what they're voting for and why they they've come to this position in their lives where these are their firmly held beliefs. And and I'd like to talk with you, Fritz, a moment about grievance politics, because um, if you go down to one, like get to the basics of the tenets of the conservative, any conservative uh, politics, one of the tenets, uh, for example, of the Republican Party is personal responsibility, which is fine, but we are not all born on the same base. So their attitude is basically, I got mine, now you now you get yours. And so for me to understand what that feels like, I just imagine how you feel when someone cuts in line, like when, you, when you're in traffic or at the grocery store and someone cuts in line and how angry you feel. I think they feel that anger towards us for allowing people that they see as cheaters to get ahead when really we're just we're trying to give people programs that will allow them to help themselves and allow everybody to have an equal opportunity, you know, just to to acquire wealth or to own a home or to have a decent education. And um, in Mary Trump's book, for example, we learned that um, Donald Trump had his feelings crushed out of him at a very young age. So it feels like, and pardon again my feelings, but it feels like his followers have as well and that they perceive empathy as weakness. And this mindset can get really dangerous really quickly when you start dehumanizing the other and owning the libs is more important than you doing well yourself. Yeah, well, I think the only continuing thread throughout all of Trump's political career has been grievance politics. Those are the buttons he pushes. Mm -hmm. The irony in that is it used to be an old, uh, there used to be a couple of uh, Republican tenants that said personal responsibility is key. Um, uh, sticking up and pulling yourself up by your bootstraps is key. Mm -hmm. uh, however, the buttons that Trump have pushed have said, uh, the you've been done wrong by the libs. The libs are the reason why you're not going forward, and I'm going to make it better for you. So what they're doing is they're seeking out to him to make it better. But truthfully, that's why really Trumpism is not Republicanism. It really isn't. Right. As well, a matter it's, of fact, it's scapegoating, and that's worked throughout history as well. It's like, don't notice what your leaders are doing. We're lining our own pockets, but don't look there because it's those guys. Those guys are the people to be mad at. And like when I was a kid growing up, I I was taught that anti-Semitism was very close to the surface in Europe, always or for many centuries, and that it just took Hitler fertilizing it for. People to be like, yeah, we've always hated Jews. Thank you very much. And and so mm -hmm. now you see the same thing take you know springing to life here, um, you know, hate blooming, and it's it can get really dangerous really really fast because of the dehumanization that comes along with it. And you know, throughout history, the the right has called the left has made fun of our feelings, has made fun of our empathy. They use terms like bleeding heart liberals during the you know, during the Red Scare. And now they use terms like snowflake, like where they're somehow stronger for not feeling. And I, I defy that because I know that they feel. In fact, nobody would build uh, a rescue headquarters more quickly in a backyard than a, a, a town who's where a baby has fallen into a well. Do you know what I mean? Like all of a sudden there'd be a city that would spring to life to get one baby out of a well. So don't tell me you don't have feelings because you do. 
So it's it's to me it's just illogical kind of chest pounding. Um, yeah, and I I think uh, um, it goes back to a discussion we had a couple of podcasts ago, and what caused our discussion was having watched this documentary about the collapse of the middle class that was done by Gavin Newsom's right. wife. And it all, I mean, Trump's ability to enrage the flyover states, for lack of a better term, is that he is that he's pointing to what is something that is built into our economic system, which is we're not doing what we can to bolster the middle class. The disparity between the haves and the have-nots is so great, and it's very easy for them to look like they're disenfranchised in the middle of the country. They're looking at the poor, and they resent them. That's why we've got these immigration hostilities. And they look at the rich, uh, which is uh, which is the other end of the spectrum. So I, I think... The only way we're going to be able to uh, make any headway with this is to is to do what we can to bolster the middle class. And I think I think Biden's on his way. I mean, he wants to raise the minimum wage, which is going to be huge. He's going to you know truss up the Affordable Care Act, depending on what the Supreme Court does. And I think there are little ways where that will happen, where people will feel like they have. A safety net, but I think it all goes back to this this hollowing out of the middle class, and people feel like the American dream is lost for them. Mm -hmm. And also, I think that uh, conservative politicians like to divide and conquer. They like to pit poor white people against poor black people. And um, I don't know if you've ever listened to Dr. Reverend William Barber, but his whole premise is that mm -hmm. these, everyone has all, everything in common and we should all work together. He has the poor people's campaign. Mm -hmm. So he's out there trying to just promote that. We, we're not enemies. We're all, we're all trying to do better in life. So why are we letting politicians divide us when we all want good jobs? We all want a good education for our kids. We all just want opportunity and we all want the ability to earn wealth and own homes and, and just be successful humans. So I, I don't know if it's like that tribalism is so innate in humans and that it was part of our survival mechanisms. As, and we're as, all susceptible to propaganda. That's another thing that's going on in a parallel time here is all these new information streams and we don't have the intellect or the wherewithal to be able to pick what's right from what's wrong. And that's, I think that's the really dangerous part of this whole thing. And that's not going away. No, and the paradigms are built so that we just keep um, plunging or falling deeper and deeper into these wells of despair because somehow rage and fear are an addiction. We somehow just keep going. We keep clicking on the next thing like, oh no, mm -hmm. oh no, oh no. And then mm -hmm. you're up up late rage Twitter scrolling and it's just it's not it's not healthy but they kind of the algorithms kind of know how to grab us and I think we all have to exercise a certain amount of willpower and to just mm -hmm. turn it off and you watch a Hallmark movie you know because those are lovely <laughs> unless the ties yourself yeah mm -hmm. no exactly you don't we it's I think we somehow we feel like it's our responsibility to pay attention to like how our side is getting screwed over, you know, so we somehow just become addicted to, like you said, being the warriors for our side. Uh, and I'm I'm just going to try really hard to be just a warrior for 
everyone. I, I want you to talk about the healing process. You have a great anecdote about a, a neighbor, a friend, and you had to yell at one another across the political divide, but you, <laughs> but, but you really worked hard to maintain the friendship. Tell that story. Uh, there, I have a few because I have a few Trump supporting neighbors. And, you know, in Santa Barbara, we had like um, a, a lawn sign war, uh, it, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> lawn sign face off. And the, and these are people that we're really very close to. We share, uh, we bring food back and forth. You know, if, if someone cooks, we bring food over. So uh, it's people that we really like, but we saw the lawn signs going up. And then, so, you know. We had our Biden sign up early because I was like an early, uh, an early Biden adopter. But uh, then they put up uh, an all, li all Lives Matter sign, and then I shared a podcast with them. And then they took down their All Lives Matter sign and put up a, uh, I don't even know, Andy Caldwell, the, some guy that was some fascist that was running against Salud Carbajal, our our Democratic Congress, Congress representative, and uh, and then we so we had a we put up a Salud sign. <laughs> But, you know, it's still sharing recipes and still sharing baked goods. <laughs> but uh, after the election, my husband took down the Biden sign and they took down the Andy Caldwell sign. But that's that's in Santa Barbara. So I'm like, I'm this ridiculous person that has two homes. So anyway, here in uh, Sherman Oaks, a, uh, a, friend, a, a little girl who grew up across the street is now she's now a mom. And she she ran up to the car and she's like, Wheezy, Wheezy, I want you to meet my baby. I'm like, oh, my God, Melody, you have a baby. So I mask up and I go over. We're standing in the driveway. You know, we can't go into the house. We're standing in the driveway with masks on, meeting her baby. And uh, and she said, I'm just so scared about the future for him. I'm, you know, he's a beautiful baby. I'm just so scared about the future for him. And and I volunteered. Well, I'm 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 working on the on the um, Biden campaign. And she said, oh, Weezy, Biden scares me. And I'm just like, <laughs> How does Biden scare anyone? I, you know, so I'm like thinking, all right, she's in a silo. I don't know what she's hearing. So just, you know, be patient. I said, tell me, tell me what your issues are. Tell me what matters to you. And she started talking, she started like kind of reciting Trump talking points from 2016. We're like, well, he's a businessman and, you know, and he's not conventional. I, you know, sure, but he's an outsider. Mm -hmm. And it's like, dude, I don't want an outsider flying my plane. I don't think. I think that public service is something that requires just as much experience as anything else that's intricate that we attempt to do in life. So uh, the way that we kind of left things was I just said, you know, I just want the best thing for people. I, that's all I want. I just want the best thing for people. And she said, that's what I want too. And then we both said, I love you. And, you know, I went home. But it's, I said, that's I say agreed. you should be the secretary of state. <laughs> you know, I did say, let's agree to disagree, because there's a point where I'm not going to push it any further. I wanted to hear just kind of the surface level of why she felt that Biden was frightening. And instead of saying that, she went to the, the Trump talking points, which was interesting to me, which is all, all have been disproven because he's a disaster. We're basically crawling our way to the finish line of his regime, you know, uh, mm -hmm. but She's that was that was her first reaction. So you have to just wonder what is she hearing? What she exposed to? What is her family saying? And 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 she's the sweetest person in the world. So that's what I just want you know everyone to understand. If you've decided to stop talking to someone on Facebook from high school because they supported Trump, I, I just don't. I mean, there's this video that kind of went viral where 
and I don't know if you saw it, Fritz, where a woman comes to the door of another woman and the woman opening the door is the one filming and the neighbor is asking her to take down a sign and the woman holding the camera inside the house just lays into her, just like, how dare you? And just lays into her. And the woman who came to the door is a God-fearing woman who simply said, I know there's children in this neighborhood and she never lost her cruel. She never lost her temper. But the woman holding the phone is like, how did you think this was going to end? And she's just being so mean. And it's like, yes, no one has a right to come to your door and ask you to take down a sign. But that's an opportunity to find out what matters to her. It, you know, when you encounter a person whose views are radically different than yours, ask what matters to you. Say, tell me what matters to you. And then listen, we yelling. I, I, I don't, I just, yeah. I, I, just don't I, I, I come, I come from a, a family of centrist Republicans. I, I'm the only person of the other bent in my whole family. My family's been Republicans since they pulled in here in whatever ship followed the Mayflower. <laughs> Uh, uh, I mean, to the point where uh, my father was a fiscal Republican because mm -hmm. he was a businessman and he did it for and he was very sensible about it. It was the tax structure at the time. And mm -hmm. he was a huge fan of Ronald Reagan. He said, I like a guy that wears French cuffs. I like a guy <laughs> that, you know, he's a he's a sharp guy. And I thought, well, that's certainly a reason to have him run the free world. But um, but uh, my mom was a, a more rabid right-wing person. And I was going to write a book, but I decided not to because it's sort of late in the game now, but uh, called Fox News Killed My Mom. And the reason I was going to write that was when Fox News got a full head of steam and they made their bones back in the days of Glenn Beck and Bill O'Reilly by pushing the fear buttons with older people, mm -hmm. it completely overtook my mother's psyche. Oh. And I could not have a conversation with this woman that didn't somehow trail back to a conspiracy theory that she heard Glenn Beck espousing on the air or Rush Limbaugh. And, uh, and, I'll give you an example of what it was like. I would go down to visit her. She was she lived to be 96 years old. And between, say, 90 and 96, this is before Bill O'Reilly got purged from the network, she would watch him every night. And it was like a religious experience for her. She had to watch Bill O'Reilly. Not only that, add to that that she was deaf as a post. So Bill O'Reilly would come on. She would turn the TV up to like 11, like she was purposefully trying to brainwash me with this stuff. And I would just take the dog and say, Mom, I'm going to walk around the complex. I'll be back in exactly 60 minutes when we go into Sean Hannity or whatever the other one was. I couldn't stand it. But 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 it 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 overtook every conversation I had with her, and there was always an underlying. All my relatives lived down there, and they're all Republican. There's always this underlying condescension toward people from California to begin mm -hmm. with. They already don't trust us, mm -hmm. so um, there was that, and I, I it was it was unbelievable, and all of it was predicated on their ability to arouse fear in senior citizens. That was their big calling card at first. Yeah, and it's an addiction. They, then your mom yeah. becomes addicted to this fear, which is so unhealthy. Oh, yeah. 
And it gives her talking points for arguments that she wouldn't make up on her own. Okay. She would just parrot something else yeah, out. Yeah, no, you, know? you can tell when a friend will will parrot something that's a Fox talking point. Sure, for sure. Yeah, yep. But I mean, that's... And then that kind of like cloaks your entire relationship with your mom. You're not able to have meaningful uh, exchanges with, with her that aren't colored by some of that taint. No, and there was no... Um... You know, it overtook all conversations. There was no sort of one-on-one, like, how you doing, or Where, where's your head at, and are you doing okay, and all this kind of stuff. It was never that. It always came back to that. But you're right. There's a narcotic effect because it kind of blankets everything, and you don't have to think about anything else. So oh, it was really, yeah. really interesting. I, I, I don't know. Um, you know, she lived in Florida, and I don't know what the the— math is down there, but 85 to 90. She didn't live in the villages, but it, it was villages adjacent. Right. She, and, uh, you know, it, 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 that that was the dominant politics in Florida, retired old people. Yeah. And it gets, it really gets a hold of them. And, mm-hmm. you know, and they sell a lot of uh, those little scooters. <laughs> they do. <laughs> Whatever they're called. Golf carts with you know, those giant flags on the golf cart where a good gust of wind would knock the golf cart over because the flag's so big. <laughs> yeah. So I want to talk to you for a second, uh, or for, for several seconds, for it's about the contesting of the election and what, why you think this is happening and what do you think it means? Because I've heard a, a few different theories and, um, you know, like ranging from... This is to gin up everybody to come out and vote in the special elections in Georgia to Trump does not want to share PDBs with Biden because the intelligence community will tell Biden what all has been going on for the past four years. And it's not good. It's super scary. That's really interesting. I hadn't thought of that, but that's definitely another reason. That's what Frank Fagluzzi thinks. And then some other ones about how Trump is like $400 million in debt and that he's going to he's going to have, you know, like a state secrets fire sale. Uh, to get himself out of debt before he gets out of office. And a lot of really, so contesting the election just kind of like gins up all of all of Fritz's moms and, you know, all of everyone's Florida moms and gets everybody, you know, supercharged up as feeling more aggrieved. Like once again, here we are, like we've been done wrong and it's the Libs fault. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think I have a couple of explanations, and yeah. all, but the ones you said are really some of the most interesting ones. I think I think there's a national security threat because I don't know that Trump would sell state secrets to get out of his four hundred million dollar debt. But I know he'd drop a couple of bombs for spite with Putin or somebody else. I think all of what you said is true. Plus, I think that's Mitch McConnell's point. People have said, why hasn't he? you know, called his old friend Joe Biden and congratulated him on on being the mathematical winner of this election because he's putting all of his focus on the Senate races in Georgia because they are going to be the difference in the balance of power. If both the senators, the Democratic senators, win down there and they're ahead in their polls in this election, they were ahead. They may be ahead in the polls for the runoff. Uh, That would make the Senate even. And so Kamala Harris would be the tiebreaker. So Mitch McConnell's power would be sapped at that point. So he's that's that's why he's staying out of the argument there. Mm. I, I also think that Mary Trump probably has a great 
uh, analysis of this. She's, she's been such a great, clear, objective, third-party observer, but with inside information. I think she would say this is part of a narcissistic personality with the inability to admit defeat that you are being judged as less than, and he's just doing it to hold on so his psyche doesn't fracture. He can't let go of it. And it's his last chance to wield power because he knows he's leaving on January 20th. That's why he's firing the head of the, you know, the intelligence committee, and he might get, be getting rid of Ray and some of these other people uh, because it's his last chance to wield power. So I don't know that there's anything darker than that. It's just his going, nah, 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 nah. I'm, you know, I'm here till January 20th. There's nothing you can do to me. I, I don't know. I would like to offer a tweet I found from Mark Harris. And uh, he writes, disputing the election isn't for the GOP about reversing the result. It's about crystallizing for their voters the idea that, that if they don't get what they want in the world, it can only be because someone else unfairly took it from them. Mm -hmm. It is a central tenet of the party. That's and I'd like to add to that, that there is money in grievance. Keeping folks enraged, as we've discussed, is good for business. Fear gets leaders elected. The aggrieved become addicted to rage. It's what defines them blaming someone else rather than doing the hard work of making a personal change. Caring is strength because you must first be strong in order to care for someone else. Your oxygen mask must be on so that you have enough air to place the mask on your child. Um, and I think you would only perceive caring as weakness if you had not received enough care, which is the thesis of, of Mary Trump. Yeah, I, I think you're right. As a matter of fact, Donnie Deutsch, who is oh, this pub publicity guy who has a great way for looking for the machinations of what some of these guys are thinking, thinks, you don't understand what's going on right now. This is pre-production. Trump is going to have the Trump. It's, as a matter of fact, apparently he's gone in to, uh, to uh, buy these titles the Trump Revolutionary Network, where he's going to have a pay cable channel. It'll be $6 a prescription, subscription, a prescription. That's a Nick Freudian slip, a $6 <laughs> uh, subscription. And it's going to be an a grievance channel. It's just going to take him out of this mix. He's going to continue to gin up the same um, fear politics and grievance politics that he's been doing for the last five years and keep himself relevant. It's all about remaining relevant. Mary Trump also said the last thing Donald Trump wants is to be irrelevant. Mm -hmm. When he became the president, he was suddenly relevant. That's what Rudy Giuliani's doing, having this Philadelphia press conference in front of the Four Seasons Landscaping Company, which was a bad booking, but he's just trying to stay relevant. Poor mm -hmm. Rudy. He was America's mayor, and he just doesn't matter anymore, and he's probably going to be taken down by the Southern District of New York, and he's just trying to remain relevant. That's what how come, how come no one is just giving him the benefit of the doubt that he was just simply out of mulch? Maybe, maybe it was. Put that in the trunk, fellas. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so, Fritz, I want to know, how come no one's talking about, like, you know, like Donnie Dorch is talking about what, what Trump is gearing up to do in his next chapter, but how come no one's talking about what are, what are the odds, you know, or, or is anyone making odds on his ability to remain a free citizen? Even if he pardons himself, he's still uh, in, investigated by Southern District of New York and... 
DC. That, that's, that's the thing that makes all these discussions moot. First of all, right. he can pardon himself for federal crimes. I think that's questionable now, but he can't pardon himself for state crimes. And he's got seven or eight major cases in the Southern District of New York with Cy Vance in that wonderful state attorney general in the Tish. state of New York that he's going to have to answer for, and they're not going to let him go. So I think, and 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 then early this morning, he said, maybe I'm going to run again in 2024. No, you're not. You're going to be in court. And after that, you're going to be too old. There's just no way. So I, I think this is all moot trying to decide what he's going to do after January 20th. I think all of it is avoidance of what he knows is inevitable. And that is He's going down. Right. And I think we, that we should also just kind of mention and remind folks that Joe Biden really is a healer, and he, he is the perfect person for this moment, A, because of his eight years of executive office experience, but also he's just such, he's such a calming presence, and he's just such a dad. And it's like, you, you know, you're at this party where your friends are getting nuts and you're like, well, you know, what are we going to do? Uh, I need to be cool. And then your dad walks in and you're like, oh, awesome. Uh, <laughs> I'll yeah. let dad take this from here. I'll let dad take it from here. You know, it's just a very reassuring presence. And I I do think that he has the the uh, the capacity to to pull us together and that it's even possible that people who voted for Trump will will look at him and listen to him and hear calm and be reassured that m maybe this shitstorm was entertaining, but it, it's like crack. It's, it's fun, but it is really bad for you. And it's mm -hmm. time that we got off of it. I just hope and one of his great abilities and what made him a successful senator for all those years was his ability to work across the aisle. Yeah. John McCain, he had all these great relationships. And that was the old way, <clears throat> pardon me, the old way of doing politics. Even Ronald Reagan used to argue with Tip O'Neill during the day. Then they go out for scotch later on at night. That was the way uh, congressional work was done. Mm -hmm. So I hope he's able to do that. However, I don't trust that. Uh, Mitch McConnell is in the mood to do that or has the yeah. wherewithal to do that, depending on how the Georgia vote goes. Right. Uh, I, I just hope that, that he's able to do it. He can do a lot by executive mandate. Um, he can do a lot by speaking calmly to the masses. Maybe you're right. Maybe some of these 70 million Trump voters will see that we're not turning into a socialist Venezuela-like wasteland and realize this guy's really doing a good job. Maybe we can fix Obamacare. People's, uh, people's lives will be solidified a little bit because they're going to have good medical coverage. Their, their, uh, their premiums are going to go down. Maybe if he's, he has a couple successes, he will win over new converts and some of this stuff will settle. I hope, I hope so. so, too. Also, they're going to be seeing, you know, what a what a baby Trump is on his way out the door. Juxtapose that with Joe just being a gentleman and being staying calm and never saying anything, anything uh, that's designed to instigate anything, but just being calm and saying, all right, here's how we're going to do things. Here's how we're going to move forward. And Trump is flailing and, you know, and peeing on all the beds. And I, I, I don't know. <laughs> You just hope. You know, but you're the great peacemaker, Weezy, and that's <laughs> why. But, but you are. But you are that way in your life. I mean, the way you, the way you nurture children, uh, your at-risk children, your devotion to making people's lives better. Not everybody has that mo. 
Robert De Niro, who has been a vitriolic opponent of Trump's from the minute he got elected, anybody that's ever lived in New York and knew his backstory, Trump's backstory, knew what we were in for. And so he's always hated him, but he made a great comment. I don't know whose show he was on, but he said, the problem is that Trumpism, unless we do healing, is not going away. What's going to happen is there will be another person mm -hmm. who will be smoother and more sophisticated and, uh, and will have better social skills, more polished and more subtle, who will be able to tap into the same nerves that Trump did and do it in a subtler way and maybe move us farther forward toward an authoritarian regime. We have to be very, very careful because what the Trump regime taught us was that we're very susceptible to this. Truthfully, this is the first time America has ever been exposed to uh, authoritarian or quasi-authoritarian leadership. Europe has had this experience since for thousands of years. Mm -hmm. They understand every once in a while there's an authoritarian that rises up or a fascist, and they've had to deal with it, and they tamp it down and reinstill a parliamentary system or democracy. But this is our first time, and I think it slapped us on top of the head. And you add to that the, the, the poisoning of misguided social media, it's a perfect recipe for disaster. And next time, some guy might not be the despicable pig of a human being in the White House, and we might get hauled farther down this dark path. I oh, hope sure. not. There's, but I think it's a great observation. No, it really is, because if he were a little more like Putin and you know, actually intelligent, uh, it would be a lot more scary. I agree. I agree. Uh, you wanted Somebody to said, so, you know, we're talking about... <laughs> Somebody was talking about, you know, what Trump's going to do in the future. But what they said is going to happen between now and January 20th. They called it pardon a palooza. <laughs> right, right, right. So what do you think? What do you, how do you well, see it? I, I mean, I, I think right now he's probably got a team of lawyers working on whether or not it's constitutionally possible for him to pardon himself for federal crimes. There's another school of thought that says he will resign before January 20th. Pence will become the president and pardon him. And the other school of thought is that he's going to pardon everybody in his immediate area, Jared and Don Jr. and Eric and Ivanka and Paul Manafort and whoever else needs to be pardoned uh, to get them off the hook. I don't know... Um, I don't know what the legality of pardoning somebody ahead of them being accused of a crime is. Is it legal to do that? I mean, there's some argument about that, where you can just give them a blanket pardon before. Well, when did he pardon? Did he pardon Roger Stone? I can't remember. No, he did. He he. There, oh, he there's another term for it. He excused them from the room or something. Right, right, right. He did some. He did something else. Yeah. I think, anyway. So that means I think that a pardon has to, has to be after they've been convicted of a crime. Yeah. Anyway. And you can. Whatever the legal term is, it's going to be very else. interesting and very scary. But we're not out of the woods yet, and the silence of the Republicans is definite, deafening. It's and, so and weird. They, and they understand that they have to pay attention to seventy million votes. They, as a party, it will be years before they can rebuild the Republican Party and get votes to that magnitude. So if they want any semblance of a party once this is over, they have to be silent until it's safe for them to come out from under their rock. That's why you haven't heard anybody other than the usual suspects um, 
you know, our friend from uh, our friends, Utah. Yeah, ben Sass and Mitt Romney. I, Mitt I just Romney. wonder, do you think there's compromise on a lot of them? Is that that's being really, too conspiratorial? That's the, no, that's a very interesting point. You know, whatever happened to Dana Rohrabacher? They said there was a connection between him and Putin. He yeah. got voted out of office, so he sort of dropped off the map. But I always thought that was a dicey arrangement and why he was always lobbying on Russia's behalf in Congress and everything. He's got a timeshare in Crimea. He's fine. <laughs> He'll be fine. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so what else, election-related, do you want to talk about, Fritz, before we jump on, on to other subjects of interest? I don't know. I think I think we had a, a chance to vent. I hope we haven't made too many people pissed off at us, but I think we all had to vent. I mean, we haven't had a chance to discuss what's going on here, and um, uh, we'll be back to our typical media path presentation, where we'll make your brains bigger by presenting books and movies and theater and performance art, whatever it takes to entertain you. But I think it was fun just to discuss this because th these are the topics everybody's talking about. Well, it's all we're, it's all that a lot of people have been watching or consuming, mm -hmm. too, in terms of media. We've all just been kind of watching the news. There was a mm -hmm. funny uh, tweet that was going around from Jimmy Kimmel where he, I guess he's, you know, at, at 30 Rock and he went up the elevator to the floor for M MSNBC in search of Steve Kornacki. <laughs> he's got his mask. And it's like these empty hallways, cavernous hallways, like and he's screaming, Jimmy Kimmel screaming for Steve Kornacki. I don't know if they're in temporary offices, but he finds like a post-it on door that says Kornacki and he starts banging on the door and Kornacki opens and he lives, he lives in this little cubicle, just like as you picture him. Like, he you know, would like, have to. The guy was on the air like 24 hours a day for a week. Yeah, and he's got he's he's amazing. He's got, and, calculators. And, and the other guy is John King. They have so much oh, yeah. data in their heads. It's it's really exceptional the the work they do. Yeah, it's just been I I I'm impressed with the way that they I I'm impressed with the way the mainstream media has guided us through the past four years. Yes. And I'll tell you, uh, everybody thinks that print media is dead. I think the Washington Post and the New York Times have done the preeminent work in this whole thing. All the great reporters they have on the air, all the stuff they're doing with research into these various conspiracies has been exemplary. And without them, without a healthy print media, which still exists, it's been proven to us, uh, we wouldn't be as far along in this thing as we have been. I thank God for them. Yeah. And it may be that uh, free speech has been what has kept us as close to the surface as we've been able to remain, able to get yep. gulps of air and, and keep swimming. Yeah. So are you excited, Fritz, about vaccine news? Because there's been some there's been some news on the news about vaccines that are that look promising. I am. I, I'm 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 very happy. Uh, I I've I've had my hopes dashed so many times. And what I'm very suspect about, Wheezy, is the rush to completion with a vaccine. I mean, there was this competition because you can see the zillions of dollars that are at stake here. So I, I question the, the rushing to uh, bring a vaccine to fruition. I just know that I, I, before this all happened, I, I, I envisioned a press conference in the Rose Garden where somebody got up and said, we, 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 after a month of accelerated testing on several dozen hamsters, <laughs> we have found the vaccine. Yeah. 
And the only <laughs> side effect is every third hamster has a facial tick, but we're not worried about that. There's been no hamster mortality, so we're going to start mass distribution of the vaccine all across America. How will we get the vaccine to you, the American public? We're going to mail it to you, so don't <laughs> hold your breath. So uh, I, I'm, I'm very happy. Oh, my God, the stock market went crazy yesterday. Not that that's important to everybody, but it, it shows that people are feeling optimistic about it. Right. It it, show, it it definitely just takes the temperature of the mood, if that's a thing, mm -hmm. uh, in terms of people's optimism about the future. Uh, yeah. Now, Fritz, you've been retired for how long now? Since uh, June 26th. So you retired mid-pandemic, correct? Yes. I, I was supposed to retire a little before that, but I, I just felt like I, I, I would have been like the bosun's mate jumping off the Titanic just when they needed me. Mm -hmm. and, and I wanted to stay on. So I stayed on. And then we hit one of those plateaus in Los Angeles County where it looked like we were flattening the curve as the saying went. And uh, I, I told my boss that it would be time for me to step off. And I, I'm, 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 I'm glad I did. I'm, uh, uh, I, I have no regrets having done it. I'm doing everything a retired people are supposed to do. I sold my home. Mm -hmm. I've bought a Series 3 Airstream trailer. You'll find me parked at slot number 78 at the Golden Sunset Mobile Home Heaven in Silmar. You can drive by. You'll see me sitting in a chair in my front yard waving at strangers. I'll be sipping a Pepto-Bismol margarita. I'll be reading a large print reader's digest. I'll be swatting away flies with a reverse mortgage brochure. And I'll be happier than I've ever been because tomorrow morning, Sam's Club is doing a special on Bud Light and propane. And I'll be first in line. Love wow. retirement. Your life is rich and full. <laughs> Happier than you've ever known me. But do you miss live performing? I, I know we talk to comedians periodically and everyone's handling it differently. I, I do miss live performing. Although now they're they're figuring out the technology where you can do Zoom comedy, virtual comedy, which isn't the same. The beauty in that is you can bomb and you never know, you know, because you can't hear anything. You just do your set. If you're reasonably confident about it, you've had a good night. But it's you're, the, the audience reaction is not that important. I worry that we might be at the end of any live performance, live venues. There may not be any more live venues. I heard a rumor today that they're going to turn the Hollywood Bowl into a skate park. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> you mean like skateboarding or there'd be like the whole thing would be like. Yes, it'd be a giant bowl a for giant only bowl. extreme yeah. skaters, though. All right. So, yeah, you have to whatever they call whatever they call the tricks. Ollie, <laughs> uh, yeah, have to. Okay. So Fritz, uh, my question to you is you do a lot of Zoom benefits and you often will say to me like, well, I can't, I have to do, I have, I'm studying for a Zoom benefit. It, for those of us maybe who've never attended, what is it like? Because the whole, well, the whole point I thought of going to a benefit was showing your friends how generous you are. <laughs> That's the whole point. You don't get that emotional feedback. <laughs> wow, are you a philanthropic person? That's true. <laughs> you just have to be comfortable in your own skin. So how but, does it work? But, well, it, it's it, it, the truth of the matter is, and I find that small and medium-sized nonprofit organizations are doing this a lot more because 
without the ability to get out there and hold live events and interact the way they do with the general public, they're really having a tough time financially. So a lot of them are organizing these events. They do them on Zoom. There's another one called StreamYard, where you can produce a live event. And they're just trying to keep their boards of directors and their supporters enthusiastic about the organization. They oftentimes raise much money or even more than they would at a live event because you're not making them drive anywhere. There's no two drink minimum. You don't have a dress code. You can sit in your living room and you can donate by clicking. It's very easy to do. And uh, uh, seriously, though, a lot of them need it to survive. Matter of fact, I have one uh, coming up uh, Thursday for the San Fernando Valley Community Mental Health Center. They have psychological services for homeless people and stuff. And this is going to be huge in their ability to stay solvent. And so I'm happy to do it. Well, how are you, how are you dealing emotionally with quarantine? Well, it's really ironic. I, I have been going to therapy for 40 years to learn how to not isolate. Oh. And here I am, <laughs> solitary confinement. All that's missing is an ankle monitor. <laughs> now, at the very beginning, I was a lot more uh, depressed about it because at the beginning of the pandemic, if you remember, it was only going to come after old people. Every night on the news, the guys are going, remember you old people, get your personal affairs in order. This thing's <laughs> coming after you, just like unlicensed contractors and Liberian online scammers. It only wants old people. And I thought, oh, my God. <laughs> now I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm into the routine. I only go out for food. You know, I wash my hands 46 times a day. I spend my life here in my black hole of emotional despair, trying to figure out how to make pizza on a 3D printer. I have no complaints. <laughs> How's it coming along? So far, so good. Okay, it's an okay. ambiguous concept, but good. I'm working on it. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty similar to what I had as a child. It's called Easy Bake Oven. It's like oh, a yeah. light bulb involved. What do you do with your time, Fritz? Well, here's what I've learned about retired people being retired now for a few months. Retired people think they're busier than they are. My kids call me in the morning, how are you doing today, Dad? And I say, I don't have time to talk right now. I have to sort my pills. I have to move the trash cans out to the curb. And God willing, there'll be some time left over so I can finish my crossword puzzle. You know, there just aren't enough hours in the day, kids. Yeah. Yeah. My sons go, pace yourself, Dad, pace yeah. yourself. You do have to budget your time. <laughs> now, do you notice the quarantine tends to bring neighbors closer together? What's it like in your neighborhood? Well, I, I have a, a, an interesting neighborhood. And, and the, the one positive thing, just like you told the story about you bridging the gap between you and your neighbor, your Trump supporting neighbor, I, I found that this whole thing has brought neighbors together, but they're all sort of different. My one neighbor across the street got divorced the first week of the pandemic back in March, and she got her house in the settlement. And since then, honest to God, every night there has been a constant stream of a variety of gentlemen in and out of her garage door. Wow. She was recently deemed a super spreader event by the Centers <laughs> for Disease Control. My other neighbor on the other side of the house, this is the one I feel sorry for. She has three kids under 10. Oh. 
and she operates her own business out of her house. And her business is she's an event planner. So talk about a business that has evaporated. So here she is. The, the, these parents of young kids have to be teachers. God bless the teachers. Teachers have taught us one thing during this pandemic. They do more than teach. They save us from our children. <laughs> My neighbor next door was really creative at the beginning of the pandemic. She'd have her kids out. Well, we're going to start. We're going to do some chalk drawing on the driveway. And then we're going to go on a nature hike. And then we'll come in the house and wash our hands. And then we'll go out and we'll hunt for four-leaf clovers. Then we'll have a healthy snack of trail mix and maybe a kale juice box. That worked <laughs> for about two weeks. Now, eight months in, this woman is done. Mommy needs some mommy time, kids. Martini or three. So... Go in your room and do whatever it is you do in there. You know, look up porn on the internet. I don't care. Just no vaping. So. <laughs> she draws the line at vaping. Yeah. What a good mom. Mm -hmm. So there has to be some hidden blessings, quarantine. I'm, I'm always looking for asking people about the pandemic blessings. What, what have you found? That's a really interesting question. Somebody asked me that. What would I think the best part about the quarantine has been? And there have been some good parts. I think the best part of quarantine has been that we are forced to bond with our homes. You know, during normal times, we never spend enough time in our homes. We spend the bulk of our time at work trying to pay for our homes. And we spend another huge chunk of time traveling to and from work in order to pay for our homes. So when all is said and done, we spent the least amount of time in the place we spend the most amount of time trying to pay for. And then at the end of the year, if there's any time left over, what do we do? We leave home and go on vacation. Right. So this pandemic has forced us to bond with our homes. I think it's a good thing. I think the homes are healthier for it, too. <laughs> That's right. I have a better relationship with my home now. We oh, talk. Yeah, my home's like, where are you going? Why do you always go? Why? I don't That's know. That's funny, though, about, about your home saying that. I've noticed that during this pandemic, people are taking walks now more than they ever did. And they're taking their dogs with them. And you look at these dogs and the dogs are going, we're going for another walk? Yeah. Don't you have some place to go? You know, when you're not home, I'm sleeping all day. This is awful. I do think that it's going to be a little bit traumatic for little kids to go back to school because they've been getting a lot of time with their parents that that is i think helpful the little kids in terms of their sense of security i think I, I, you're, you're absolutely right you have a good intuition about that i have a grandson yeah who, who's in pre-k and it's a private preschool because it's very important for a four-year-old to have a private school education yeah for twenty thousand I mean, dollars a year it's about the appearances can you say entitlement uh-oh <laughs> I went to Temple University in the 70s for $3,000 a year. Right. A fifth of the cost of the preschool. Although at Temple, they didn't have to change my big boy pants if I peed myself. So it's a whole different thing. <laughs> yeah. But my son thing. loves it because, you know, he's he's a progressive person and he's trying to raise free range children. <laughs> so it's a very free form school that makes a Montessori school look like West Point. <laughs> Remember, kids, two plus two doesn't necessarily equal four. It's whatever the two twos can agree on. <laughs> now we're going to watch a movie about nonviolent conflict resolution. Won't that be fun? <laughs> so, anyway, I feel bad for teachers. As I say, teachers, we, we, we should celebrate them. And, you know, they're, they're trying to reopen schools. 
and teachers are going, thank God I get to go back to my classroom. I get to be overworked and grossly underpaid. And if I'm really lucky, I'll get a virus that might kill me. Can I just get the virus now and get it over with? Yeah, right. But do you think there might be, you know, those shows where it's like, you know, wife swap or husband, I don't know, like, (laughs) but do you think that, that like, we'll have a greater appreciation for teachers now that moms have been teachers? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I, I, first of all, it's, it's been a, a hideous immorality for the whole last hundred years of how grossly underpaid teachers are. Because it's more than, you know, it's it's more than, although teachers now are more than teachers, they have to be a second parent, they have to be a disciplinarian, they have to be a psychologist. Uh, it, it's, it's unbelievable. I hope this makes people appreciate how wonderful they are and how we should, it, it's sad that in our society that they have to fight for, you know, a reasonable wage for what we're expecting them to do. And also maybe maybe help men be more appreciative of what the person who's home with the kids all day is you know, like what kind of level of like aggravation are you up to by by the time it lights out? And maybe since we're all kind of reduced to pretty similar lives, more appreciation for one another, more more, I don't know, just maybe more feelings. Sorry about that, conservatives, but oh, yeah. maybe that's a great point though, about dads, yeah. I mean, it really is they're forced to appreciate what teachers do and what their wives do, mm-hmm. you know, particularly with young kids where it's just an exhausting procedure. Yeah. And and guys are trying to be good. They're out walking their kids. And I see men out with their kids on bicycles and and the kids don't have training wheels, but the father does because it's been so long since he rode a bike and they're riding around the neighborhood. And you can just tell that this is a real... Um, uh, epiphany for dads saying, "Oh my God, I can't wait to go back to work." Yeah, my um, my cousin BJ was working on the 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 Biden campaign in North Carolina, and he uh, he, he on Facebook he he posted that now that the campaign that campaign's over, he you know he said I'm I'm going to have to you know go get a different job because he had, he had actually quit his job to work full time on the Biden campaign, and his little girl said. Daddy, why can't your job be hanging out with us? Oh, that's fine. You know, it's really funny. I had a similar circumstance. You know, my daughter went to college uh, online from my house before she got an apartment last semester. And I would, before I retired for like four months, I was doing the weather from home. And uh, I had this little setup in the thing. And I'm sitting here in my pajama bottoms, but I had a tie and a jacket on on top. (laughs) And my daughter came into me and she said, you know, uh, up until this point, I had a lot of respect for this job. Is this all you do? Was, you know, I thought, it kind of took the majesty out of being a big broadcaster when she realized how easy my job was. So. Well, it's interesting. Like, you know, I've seen you and I've been with you on many, many tours that we've taken through NBC. And it's just this big, enormous, like, you know, giant hallways where they can wheel the set of friends down, and, you know, and and uh, it, it really does seem huge and important. But when you diminish everyone's job to whether you're John Oliver or Fritz Coleman or Rachel Maddow to here's my desk. And yeah, that's you know, right. And everyone's Zoom game is on full display. And it's like, wow, Claire McCaskill's dishes are really <laughs> lovely. I'm wondering what I they know. are. Uh, Some of just, those people, it's yeah. fake. You know they got a staging company to do their living room because it's too nice. <laughs> so, you have, you seen Michael interview- have you seen Michael Beschloss? Have you seen Michael Beschloss? Dude, he's, it's like the it's Library like, of Congress behind Dude, him. I said like, 
if I, I said on Twitter, I go, Michael Beschloss lives here because of course. <laughs> <laughs> this is where a presidential historian must live. Yeah. Those are the laws. I don't write them. Yeah. But yeah, it, it is interesting to see. The, you know, and then you see like James Carville and the cameras like pointed at the cabin ceiling because, of course, he lives in yeah. a cabin. I'd love to see one of those interviewers because most of the people being interviewed are at home now. The interviewer to stop in the middle and go, Mr. Secretary, before we continue, how many of those books behind you have you actually read? <laughs> exactly. For instance, that dusty set of Arabic encyclopedias. When was the last <laughs> time you cracked those? Come on. Are you Sam. trying to tell us that you speak Aramaic? I don't. We don't. No, that's not. But yeah, it is. We've all kind of been reduced to the same exact. It's sort of like the ultimate democracy, right? It is. Anyone could give you the disease. And, you know, we're all we're completely part of a human organism where every cell is there's equality here. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think. Uh, although. Within the tribes, we're talking about how tribal this is. Right. But within your tribe, your family, your people in a similar school of thought, I think we this has been a great sort of a human bonding experience. We've relied on one another. We understand how important socialization is for ourselves and our kids and being patient with one another. And I, I especially at the beginning of this pandemic, people were so nice and you pull yeah. up in a car. No, you go first. No, yeah. you go first. And it was there was a little humanity there. I'm mm -hmm. sure that'll go go away if we don't solve this soon. But well, I think I think there is hope on the horizon. I, my birthday is tomorrow, and a friend wrote, "What? what? Are you doing? How come yeah. I didn't know that?" Oh, Boy, I'm glad it's you told just me. Oh, you know man. a detail. But my my friend wrote to me, "What are you doing on your birthday?" And I said, "Like any good American, I'm eating in the backyard." <laughs> so I, what's anyone doing on their birthday? They're eating in the backyard. I don't know what else there is to do. So you have I'm, a big loving family that will come and celebrate with you on all four corners of your backyard. Well, what we've done, and I recommend this, and it may be a little trickier for folks in, in uh, colder climes, but uh, we've created in my mom's, and you'll come over, Fritz, because we've put we've strung lights. Oh. Now it gets dark around five o'clock. So we've strung lights all across the backyard. And then we've got a fire pit. You can get them for like 200 bucks and you just put you just put logs in and lighter fluid and pff, you're making s'mores. And we're just going to create kind of get, get like an outdoor heater because this is where we're going to be for yeah. the foreseeable future. I mean, yeah. hopefully Biden comes into office. We get a vaccine. You know, it gets mobilized and it gets implemented in a plan that seems safe and uh, effective to everyone. And we all get immunized within the next yeah, they said six. the people with the highest necessity, the, I'm guessing people with pre-existing conditions and no, older it's, people, it's, they may, it might be before the end of the year. The highest necessity is not pre-existing conditions. It's something that's going to make you hit your head with the palm of your hand. Of course, it's first line uh, personnel. Yeah. It's doctors, nurses. and That's uh, what I mean. Just whoever, whoever's first yeah, in line. It's the first mm -hmm. line of defense no, is going right. to get, and they'll get it first. And that'll be great because they're in a position where if something's, you know, going wonky, they can, they're, they work at a hospital. Yep. So that's what's going to happen. But in the meantime, gear yourself up for the winter. I know things are getting cold and it's harder to be outside. So get a space heater and create a spot, put on your winter jacket and get a little stove to burn wood 
and gather with your friends outdoors. It's just still not safe, even with the holidays coming. It's just really not safe for us to gather indoors together. It just isn't. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for allowing us to event. This isn't our typical format, but it was a lot of fun just sort of getting things off our chest and maybe it provoked a little conversation with you and your friends or whoever's in the car with you. Or I feel so much better. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Thank you, know. Fritzy. You know. All right, so we'll be back with guests next week and we'll continue and we want to know what you're watching and what you're listening to and what you're consuming and what's awesome and what we need to check out cuz we'll we're going to read and watch whatever you recommend and then we'll be talking about it shortly. Thank you so much Fritz for this wonderful episode and for all of your insights and thank you for for listening and watching and being with us. We would love for you to join us online on Instagram and Twitter, where we are at MediaPathPod, and on Facebook, where we are MediaPathPodcast. You can find full episodes with all kinds of bonus visual content on our YouTube channel, MediaPathPodcast. And I want to thank our guest. <laughs> we have a guest. I really don't want to thank our guests. They were very quiet, <laughs> eerily quiet. Uh, our team includes Dina Friedman, Francesco Demanda, Mosey Masenko, John Maddox, Bill Filipiak, Thomas Hubble, Alex Gilroy, and you. Thank you so much, and we will see you along the media path.